welcome to episode 220 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast topic this week, we're going to chat about the advances in the digital life and in biological engineering that are entertaining the human search for immortality. So we have a lovely audio clip from Aeon Magazine uh, from an article, an essay there entitled, What are the Ethical Consequences of Immortality Technology? And I think this is such a great way to cue up uh, uh, the discussion that I'm just going to start with this audio clip. Immortality has gone secular. Unhooked from the realm of gods and angels, it's now the subject of serious investment both intellectual and financial, by philosophers, scientists and the Silicon Valley set. Several hundred people have already chosen to be cryopreserved in preference to simply dying as they wait for science to catch up and give them a second shot at life. But if we treat death as a problem, what are the ethical implications of the highly speculative solutions being mooted? Of course, we don't currently have the means of achieving human immortality, nor is it clear that we ever will. But two hypothetical options have so far attracted the most interest and attention, rejuvenation technology and mind uploading. All right. So so there we have, you know, setting the stage for this discussion on either digital or biological immortality. I'd like to further uh, sort of delve into the history of this problem set by uh, uh, referring to the... Uh, ever so famous Fountain of Youth, which in the 16th century was attached to the uh, Spanish conquistador uh, Juan Ponce de Leon. Of course, I'm fairly certain that that had little to do with the actual conquistador. But nonetheless, this is this is the the search for the Fountain of Youth. You have the search for the Holy Grail, which was uh, uh, meant to impart immortality upon its uh, uh, its owner. So, so this is a deeply rooted human um, desirement that that pervades our mythologies, and and rightly so. I mean, humans are defined by you know in, in a lot of ways by our mortality. So we look at at our technologies that that we have for fighting off diseases, for instance, and. Every time we get good at fighting off one disease, we find that, you know, farther down the road, there's another, you know, more awful disease that, uh, that's coming to get us. So a perfect example of that is, you know, we're, we're getting good at food production now. So, so, uh, we're not dying of, uh, diseases related to starvation. Rather, we're running into the diseases of overabundance, right? Of obesity, diabetes, et cetera. The minute that we solve some of the problems around aging, uh, we realize that down the road, cancer, you know, our, our DNA breaks down and, and, and we have all sorts of problems with uh, car, uh, carcinogens and, and various cancers. Uh, and, then, and then finally, we've, we've done really well with uh, solving uh, all sorts of transportation technologies um, and energy technologies. And, and of course, that's causing climate change, which, you know, then basically moves all these unique viruses up and down, uh, uh, you know, up from the southern regions and into northern regions. So West Nile virus, for instance, uh, they're spraying for West Nile virus in the metro west of, of the Boston area. You know, that was never a factor 
uh, uh, even just a decade ago. And now we have this uh, somewhat exotic virus to worry about. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me like humans have always been trying to solve the problems of uh, immortality, uh, whether that be through getting better health or, uh, you, you know, we have all of these uh, computing technologies as well. But the unforeseen consequences always push back on us like a, like a sledgehammer. Uh, so, so with that thought, Dirk, um, I'd, I'd be interested in, in how you see this problem. And then we can dig into some of the, the digital and biological tech that's, you know, making it perhaps more possible. Yeah, I mean, first, I think I think it's too early to have these conversations. I think it's somewhat irresponsible of media outlets to be um, to be breathlessly touting this kind of a story because we're so far away from immortality, whether it be physical or digital, as to be ridiculous. I mean, for over a decade now, um, I mean, probably longer than that. I mean, if you talk about like a, a you know Ray Kurzweil, but. Speaking strictly of like advances in healthcare and discoveries in genomics, you know we're 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 not meaningfully increasing life expectancy today compared to a decade ago, let alone immortality. Like we're not even adding five years onto life expectancy, and so now suddenly snap our fingers and it's going to be forever. It's it's just sort of nonsense. On the digital side, I think we're even farther away from the standpoint that. We don't know what makes us human. So the whole, the whole conceit around the digital immortality is this notion that we can download our brain, somehow figure out what's all the content there, download it somewhere, and then it can exist in that downloaded space as us, as a person, as a, as a being. And we don't know what makes us a being. We don't, we, we certainly, there's, there's no, um, uh, proof or evidence that the quantifiable data in our brain and cells and system when transported into a different unit will, will have that unit being a being in the way that we know beings. So before we should start talking about this digital immortality, we should have some freaking notion of what makes us human. What, what is it, you know, we're not there. We're so far from there. And the, the what makes us human is something we've been trying to solve for thousands of years, um, probably tens or hundreds of thousands of years, you know, going, going back to very early humans and humanity. So, you know, yeah, I mean, on the technical side, you can say, oh, well, you know, we're kind of figuring out that cells can be replaced, cells can be rejuvenated, changes can be made at the genomic level. Or we're saying, yeah, you know, we're starting to, understand how the brain works. We're starting to see how, how and where things are stored. And there might be a path to move that stuff around. Like all of that's true, but the jump from that to a realized immortality, either physical or digital is way freaking out there. And we don't know what the world is going to be like at that time, like trying to solve it from our context of today, you know, ethicists and philosophers are saying, Oh my God, this is going to come so quickly and we need to be prepared. I don't know that we do because we're going to be, the, the framing of reality at the point that this becomes real is going to be vastly different than the framing of reality today. And the, the assumptions and the rules that we are setting and making in trying to project and prepare, I, I, I don't think are going to be relevant in ways large or small. So yeah, we do need to be prepared when the time comes, but I don't think the time is now. So I'm sort of, super skeptical of all of this stuff. Uh, I think 
it, it's going to get people a lot of attention. It's going to give people work that they get paid for. It certainly is going to make people uh, scared or interested or excited, depending on your predisposition. But the reality is immortality is, is a ways down the road. Yeah, I you know I, I agree with all that from a uh, sort of a framing from the technical and, and scientific side. What I do think these discussions open up in a uh, in a positive way is immortality as sort of a proxy for whose ideas do we preserve over time and who's the rich John. and and whose bodies do we preserve the rich or, John right the rich and 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 that's that's a roundabout way of me saying. The you know, with my somewhat egalitarian viewpoint on things, is that there's because we take technology for granted in a lot of ways today. I, I like the immortality discussion because it breaks us free of it enables us to imagine, and and I think we need some imagination in our public discussions of things because there's there's so much that we can do right now that I think. Even the most basic discussions around genomics or around like the rule sets for cloning humans or whatever, all of these things are, you know, they, they are possible today. And so it doesn't stretch the thinking of the public discussion to, to posit those things because we're right. Those things are right around the corner. Yeah. But in, framing them in immortality just as silliness. Right. But what it does do, I think it's, it's a little bit shocking, right? To think about like, oh, there's going to be a class of people whose ideas and bodies are going to not only sort of uh, exist past my own existence, but are going to be around forever, right? So as a society, what do we Nothing want? Nothing is forever. But uh, keep, uh, keep yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I'm just trying to make it an accessible argument that could be held in a, in a more public way. Because if you take the natural logical extensions of the technologies we're talking about today, like let's say we we never are immortal, but let's say a very wealthy person can live for 200 years, and and uh, you know, whereas the life expectancy of someone less wealthy is you know, what it is today, 70 or 80. Yeah. So what we're really talking about at that point is, is, uh, I mean, it's not even just fundamental class difference. I mean, it's almost like, like we're separating out an entire portion of humanity to be preserved. So what I like about the immortality argument is, is it says, who are we going to make the demigods of our society? And are we okay with that? We might be. We might be okay with a class of people who live for a long time and have their ideas dominate, or we might not. Yeah, but this is still the wrong moment to solve for that because, I mean, we're still mired in capitalism, and you can see capitalism fraying all over the place. Decades from now, the the slightly regulated capitalism that exists today will not be the dominant form of social organization. It will not. Uh, so we're solving from that that position today. And I don't think that's the position that will be in place when these things actually become an issue. So like as a thought experiment, as I mean, as masturbation, it's interesting, <laughs> but I think it confuses reality. It, it prevents people from really understanding what are the pieces on the board? How are they situated? Which ones are important and how should we plan to move them around for a better future. I think it's focusing on the wrong thing from, from my perspective. You know, that's, that's certainly, uh, certainly possible. I, I, uh, 
I, I do like, you know, at its core, the, uh, as I said, sort of the imaginary, the fantastical aspects of it, just as a, a wake-up call, really. But I can see that we're probably, uh, you know, at slightly, slightly different positions on that, and that is uh, perfectly fine. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward, if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 220 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.